This is an ABC podcast. Hey ladies, just a heads up, this episode deals with issues around conceiving and having babies. We're going to talk about stuff that might be difficult for some of you, so take care. For me, it's the be-all and end-all. I've wanted to be a mum for as long as I can remember. I just really felt within myself that, okay, I really can't leave this too much longer. It's like a a slow, silent trauma. It sometimes feels like it's some kind of patriarchal conspiracy because of all the, you know, clickbait articles you read about your eggs suiciding every month and how, you know, your fertility is waning. As women in our 20s and 30s, our to-do list looks roughly like party, get a job, pay off a car, look hot, have sex, go overseas a couple of times, learn the lyrics to WAP, eventually, try to get a better job, try to get a better partner, and among all this, if you're doing it with boys, avoid getting pregnant. Fast forward to your late 30s, and well done, ladies, you've kicked at least one of these life goals. But maybe something else seems to have snuck its way not just onto this list, but up into high priority and stamped urgent. (laughs) Trying to start a family at the pointy end of your 30s can be challenging. It takes two for a baby, and it's often the men who delay childbearing. You just really feel this sense of running out of time. I know that the end is near. I, I know that. I wish that I was younger and I had more time, but I just don't. I feel like this is my last shot. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about last shot pregnancy. It's no secret that women are holding off on having babies longer than ever. According to the Australian Institute of Family Studies, most new mums in the 1980s were in their 20s. So young, babies themselves. But by 2017, the proportion of new mothers aged 30 and over was 49%. And as you might expect, the proportion of first-time mums in their late 30s, well, that jumped from 3% to 13%. For a modern woman, the social expectations of career and life seem to be in direct conflict with the biological challenge of the slow but inevitable closure of her fertile window. It is an uphill battle. There is the the reality of our lives, but there's also the biological reality. And uh, without scaremongering, it is really just biologically and physiologically gets more difficult to achieve conception after the age of 35. Dr Karen Hammerberg is a pioneer of IVF. Like, literally. She was part of the legendary team that created the first IVF baby in the world ever back in Sweden in the early 80s. She's now a researcher at Monash University's School of Public Health and also works for VARTA, the regulatory body for IVF in Victoria. Karen tells it like it is. 
And warning, ladies, if you're trying to conceive and having trouble, the stats could feel confronting. So where do we stand if we're trying to have our first baby in our mid to late 30s and beyond? It just gets harder and harder. And I think there's some figure that when you're about 35, there might be a 20% chance of achieving a pregnancy every month. But by the time you're 40, it's down to about 5%. So obviously, any pregnancy you achieve, it's also a bigger risk of miscarriage because the quality and the quantity of women's eggs, they really declines after 35. If I were pregnant right now, Dr. Curran, with a daughter... Am I right in understanding that she, within my body, would have all the eggs in her body that she was ever going to have? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So by the time we're born, we've actually already lost some of the eggs that we we had when we first started. And then, of course, those eggs live with us for um, all those years. There are changes that happen in, in all our tissues as we age, including the eggs. So more and more of these eggs become non-functional And there is also fewer and fewer of them as we get older. And certainly, I think people think that menopause happens in in the early 50s, which it does. But perhaps most people are not aware that our fertility probably is almost gone uh, some 10 years earlier. One of the things that makes you very interesting to talk to, Dr. Karen, is that you're an expert in the sort of the nuts and bolts of IVF and getting pregnant, but also the psychosocial elements. So for a woman, there's a lot to fit in. You've got to try and get your career on track. You've got to, you know, try and live your life, look after your parents and somewhere along the way, find a partner if you're lucky. Is having a baby just another thing that we have to worry about and put on our to-do list? (laughs) I think we are a bit overwhelmed with, with all the kind of achievements or all the goals we have in life. And I think it's fair enough. Women want to get a good education and a good job. And that does take a number of years and probably takes up those most fertile years. And that's the inevitable truth about it. If it's something that you desperately want to have in your life, I think there needs to be some reckoning with biology and uh, figuring out how can I achieve this considering my circumstances. Oftentimes there is not a partner or a suitable partner or there might be a partner who's not willing to commit to parenthood. And that's a big dilemma for women. It's a huge dilemma. In your research, is that one of the main reasons why women put off having a child? You see, I, I think there's there's this kind of myth. Uh, I call it a myth because it's it's not proven to be true at all that women delay childbearing. That sounds like an active act of, you know, just not wanting to deal with it right now. I'll, I'll deal with it later. I'll do all this other fun thing first. It's not like that at all. Most women who end up struggling to conceive at a later age is because they either hadn't found the right partner or they've been with someone for, you know, eight, ten years and always presume that it would be ending up with having children together. And then when the time comes and there's a crunch time, he's not ready. And not being ready is just devastating for a lot of women. 40 was approaching. I was 39 and it felt like it was getting to really like a now or never moment. I really just thought, you know, what am I waiting for? Meet Alexandra Collier. She's a writer and had been in a relationship during her 30s with someone she thought might end up being the father of her child. But in her late 30s, Alexandra found herself back on the dating scene and wanting a baby. It was a bit of a car wreck, (laughs) to be honest. There were some lovely guys along the way, but what was tricky about wanting a baby 
is that that pressure was bearing down on my dating life. So that's an almost impossible situation to date in because you've got this timeline and that doesn't unfold the way love does, which is at its own pace. And when you've got that biological pressure on you and that desire, it suddenly creates a sort of artificial situation in your dating life because you're trying to hurry things along or you're trying to put pressure on the situation to evolve into something that it isn't. Does it make you more desperate? (laughs) I don't like to use the word desperate (laughs) uh, because I think women already get enough shade about being in their late 30s and dating. But it does often make you make choices that you might not have made if you were younger. And it can cloud your judgment, I think. You sort of can grip onto situations that seem promising and ignore red flags, which is certainly what I did with some people. I thought, oh, well, there's, you know, all these issues, but it's fine, it's fine. You know, like nobody's perfect. We'll make it happen because I was feeling such a strong desire to have a family. And my last promising relationship ended because the guy didn't want to have any more kids. And I realized that I wasn't actually that sad about the relationship or about losing this guy. I was actually sad about the potential family I was going to have. And that's when it became very clear to me that I knew exactly what I wanted and I was waiting for these men to give me permission. And with that clarity, Alexandra changed her criteria. It was no longer about partnering and conceiving a baby through heterosexual sex. I had been sort of flirting with a fertility clinic for a few years while I was dating, just testing out my options, seeing what I should do. And so I knew that the next step was really just to pay for access to the sperm bank to see what was available. So I did that and looked through the donor profiles, which is kind of like Tinder for sperm, but with no photos. I spent a lot of time logging in, logging out, and then a new profile just popped up one day. And, you know, new shiny things are always more attractive. So (laughs) I read the profile and this guy seemed nice and kind and straightforward and he didn't have any genetic markers that were problematic with my genetic history. And I really just thought, you know, what am I waiting for? On the actual day of insemination, I just went into the clinic and the whole process took about five minutes. It's so quick. You lie down, they insert the sperm into your uterus, so you kind of feel it kind of wash up into your body, which is sort of like a brief cramping feeling. And then the doctor said to me, okay, you can go now. And I said to her, well, don't I need to lie down or, you know, be horizontal for some period of time? And she said, nope, that's a myth. I was like, okay. So I left and I thought to myself, well, it might be a myth, but I've just paid over two grand for that sperm, so I'm just going to lie in my car (laughs) (laughs) for about 15 minutes. So I lay horizontal in my car, wedged at a very odd angle for a while, and then I drove off and that was it. Just going back to that girl who imagined a future where she'd have a partner and, you know, it would be the settling down and making a baby, that narrative that a lot of people have, was there grief in you when you had to let go of that story? Yeah, definitely. I think you have to sort of grieve that old narrative before you embark on a new one. 
It's so ingrained in us. You're attractive enough. You're smart enough. You're whatever enough. You know, you'll meet someone. Like, don't worry. Don't worry. Eventually it'll happen. You know, you don't have to take this kind of desperate measure. (laughs) I thought, well, I have tried really hard to meet someone. It's not, it's been a long time. You know, you've tested out a lot of options. You've like driven all the different vehicles. I've got nothing against the idea of romance and love and it would be great if it happened in the future. But that unfortunately is not on the same timeline with having a baby. So I, I just had to get really pragmatic about it. Alexandra was really fortunate that one time she got inseminated, she fell pregnant and carried the baby to term. Other women aren't always as lucky. Samantha is 42 years old. I have had three stillbirths, eight miscarriages and the loss of identical twin girls due to cord entanglement. So there's been a continuation of pregnancies and losses and heartbreak. We first met Samantha on season two of Ladies We Need to Talk when we spoke to her about pregnancy's 12-week rule and the taboo of miscarriage. Sam has been trying to have a baby for the past eight years. And the grief of so much loss and trauma has taken its toll. Paul and I separated late last year, so Paul is gone. I think there's no disputing that our incredibly bad baby journey impacted our relationship. Not because we didn't love each other, because we did. But because it was just consumed by sadness and loss, and that's a really hard space to live in, like, continually. Samantha's been through hell. But despite everything, she's not giving up on a baby. But she knows the window is closing. So we had one embryo remaining. So this was actually a donor egg embryo. So we paid $40,000 for donor eggs in 2019 because the hospital was telling us that my age and egg quality is is a massive consideration and a contributing factor. I was pregnant for seven days before I miscarried that pregnancy. And then this month I transferred the final one myself and it didn't take So, Samantha, let's have a a look at the picture of where you are now. You're now single, but you're still determined to have a child. Yes. What are the next steps for you? So I'm at a bit of a a crossroads, really, and I need to make sure that whatever decision I make next is the right decision because at 42, you know, having already invested finances into this and now being single, I have limited options available to me. So the two main options which I'm considering at the moment is number one is to attempt to do IVF with donor sperm and harvest my own eggs. There's risk that at 42, my eggs will be poor quality and that, you know, worst case scenario, we get nothing that's viable to transfer back. The other option that I'm seriously considering at the moment is international surrogacy. 
Samantha and her ex had already looked into international surrogacy as an option, but COVID slammed the brakes on that. The rules vary from country to country, and it's trickier but not impossible to use an international surrogate when you're a single woman. But it's not cheap. The biggest negative with that process is that it costs $100,000. I was at the bank yesterday trying to restructure my finances and it was not a positive meeting. So I don't know. Um, I'm working through options to see what I can do because I'm at a point where my body is not reliable in regards to having babies. And although IVF here is a much more affordable option, the risk is huge. And, you know, I keep coming back to this same point, and that is if I had $100,000 in the bank today, I would throw it at them and say, let's get me my baby. Samantha, I know this is a tricky one, but can you describe what the yearning to have a child actually feels like? For me, it's the be-all and end-all. I'm a, I'm a woman who previously was a young girl that wanted to get married and have a family, and I want it more than anything, anything. I didn't have a clear career path. I wanted to get married and have kids. I've wanted to be a mum for as long as I can remember. I know that the end is near. I I know that. I wish that I was younger and I had more time, but I just don't. So this is why I guess this current position for me is super emotionally loaded and pressurised because I feel like this is my last shot. Whether I went with IVF or surrogacy, it really doesn't matter. It's the last hurrah. There's no more time. There's no more money. There's no more opportunity. In Australia, around 25% of women undergoing assisted reproduction, like IVF, are over the age of 40. I asked Dr Karen Hammerberg what the odds are of these women falling pregnant. This is where it gets quite sad, I think, because... Often it's uh, thought that IVF is like a backstop. So I'll try on my own, but if it doesn't work, I'll have IVF. IVF, again, can't really overcome the the biology of eggs. The egg quality is is what it is, and, and it's not going to change because of IVF. So if you're about 35 years old, if you have one treatment cycle with IVF, with any frozen and all the embryo transfers done, the chance of having a baby is actually 42%, which is quite good. And if you go up to three cycles, it it goes up to 61%. But if you're 40, after one treatment cycle, your chance is 12%. So almost one in 10 will have a baby and the rest won't. And if you try for three times, it comes to 24%. But there's still only just one quarter of everyone who tries three times will have a baby. And then if you get up to 42 or 43, it's it's negligible. Women who choose to use donated eggs, eggs donated by, by a younger woman, they have the same chance as um, the age of the woman who donates the eggs. But there's an awful lot of people out there who've spent an awful lot of money, awful lot of emotional energy and hopes and despair and end up with nothing. That's just the reality. My name is Jem. I am now 42, almost 43. And I've been trying to get pregnant <laughs> since oh, about four and a half years ago. 
Jem emailed Ladies We Need To Talk three years ago, saying that she was having her last shot at pregnancy via IVF. It turns out that it's really hard to stop trying, to say definitively, this is my last shot. It's this gambling kind of mentality that starts to sink in. The, the what if, like, if what if it's the next, next cycle that I do? That's when I fall pregnant. That's the kind of thinking. Are you a gambler, Jim? No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, and I've, I've found it really interesting to kind of uh, look at myself uh, looking back and observing some of the behaviours that would be very characteristic of compulsive gamblers. Jem and her partner started IVF back in 2017 and initially thought that it would be tricky to fall pregnant due to fertility issues at his end after he'd had a vasectomy. But then Jem discovered that her follicle count was drastically low. It was a huge shock for me. I had never thought that I would have any fertility issues myself. Despite the challenges, Jem and her partner continued having rounds of IVF, changing clinics and having slightly better results each time. But the process took its toll. When you're in those cycles, it's almost like you're at war. (laughs) Yeah, it it just feels all-encompassing. You're on a strict regimen of drugs that you can only have at a certain time of the day. So it puts a lot of pressure, you know, on juggling that with workload, with other life commitments, all the while trying to keep very private about it. Jem's journey got more complicated when a ruptured abscess on one of her ovaries meant she had to have that ovary removed. So Jem's now down an ovary and recovering from surgery. They have one frozen embryo left and Jem and her partner are about to go ahead and have the embryo implanted. And then guess what happens? COVID happens. During that year of COVID, I'd noticed that my period was becoming quite irregular. And having been someone whose periods were very regular and and just being conscious that having had an ovary removed, that, you know, there was a certain risk of menopause kicking in earlier, which was a real concern of mine. Crikey, I can't believe your periods started getting irregular. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, come on. (laughs) Far out. Yeah. So, of course, that must have felt like massively like your last shot. Yeah, it did. It really added to that sense of, oh, my goodness, time is definitely running out. So Jem has had the transfer of the final embryo, essentially pulling the trigger on her last shot and waits the obligatory two weeks for the results. I remember coming out of a meeting and there was a message from one of the nurses at our clinic who asked me to give her a call back. And look, I had expected the news based on, you know, what our clinician had told us. He hadn't been quite hopeful. I I knew the stats. And so based on those two things, I wasn't really that hopeful. I just knew I needed to move on 
from it, really. And so uh, when I finally did get to speak to the nurse, and I'll never forget her first words to me were, oh, my goodness, Jen, where have you been? (laughs) And I knew then. I just started crying. Uh, Yeah. And God bless her. (laughs) Uh, I could tell that she was about to, too, and she said, Jen, you can't cry. How far along are you now? So, yeah, almost halfway there, I guess you could say, and I still can't quite believe it. But for every success story, there are countless heartbreaks. Remember, IVF is like gambling. The wins make a lot of noise, while the multitudinous losses are silent. I just remember thinking it just felt so hard on my body that just didn't feel right. Fleur and her husband tried IVF for 10 years. The one pregnancy they achieved in that time had to be terminated because it would not have survived to full term. Fleur says there was not an exact moment when she realised that she had taken her last shot. It happened gradually. There was just something intuitively that I just felt I don't want to keep putting these hormones into my body. I'm getting older as well. I know that the, you know, the odds go down. So you're weighing up all of these things. I just thought, you know, this has been going for 10 years now. I'm just ready to move on um, and enjoy my life because it does put a hold on so many things, so much joy and enjoyment that you can have in life. So I think it just was a natural decision to make. And ladies, it was at this point in the interview that I realised I really, really wanted to be friends with Fleur. Her attitude is wonderful. There are actually many positives that can come out of a situation like this. It's not easy to to find them initially, but, you know, we've done a lot of things that we wouldn't necessarily have done without kids. We've completely changed our lifestyle. We moved to the country, which I know you can do these things with kids, but I think there's other considerations perhaps when you have kids. You know, we we were originally in the city and I think a lot of people when they've got kids might prefer to stay closer, say, to parents and family or they think about schools and all of those kind of things. Whereas we were like, well, let's go and explore Having this property, we have a lot of friends that come down with kids. We're godparents to a number of kids and we have nieces and nephews. So when they come down, we we get to have those special moments Mm. with a lot of kids and their friends and we get to support our friends. We see how difficult parenthood can be at times. So we get to be the fun ones that come in and provide a bit of comic relief. But then we get to hand them back and sleep in in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Fleur, how did you grieve the future that you'd envisaged for yourself, the one where you and your partner have a kid? I think you just have to feel all of the feelings. I think it's, you know, worse if you, well, for me anyway, if you just push it down and try to pretend that it's not happening, I think you'd have to take the time to, you know, do the ugly crying and just really wallow in it for a bit. You've got to allow that to happen. And I think with like any grieving, you might feel like you're getting better and then you'll have days or you'll have a moment that triggers something and you'll you'll feel it again. But I think it's really important to feel all of those feelings and, you know, just one foot in front of the other. It 
does get better. Turning the corner in our journey and focusing on, you know, that there is life after IVF. There's so many different types of lives to live. There's so many different ways to give love or have children in your life or explore life. And I think that's just the mental attitude that we've taken and just tried to really look on the on the bright side. I know it's not always easy, but I feel like that got easier and easier. And now I just wouldn't even think about it at all, to be honest. To make it easier to say, mm, you know what, that was it. That was our last shot. We are finished trying. Dr. Karen Hammerberg suggests setting some boundaries and understanding from the outset that you might not be one of the lucky ones. It's very good to have some kind of limit early in the piece because it's very easy to get caught up in thinking that only one more, only one more. But there is a point, I think, and counsellors uh, are good at talking through you know, how you can come to a point when you can make that decision and feel that you've, you've actually given it your all and, and now you really need to move on. I guess it's more about deciding at an age when we still have choices whether having a baby is one of the top priorities or whether it's something that you'd be happy if, if it happens, but if it doesn't, I'll, I'll be happy anyway. Okay, so maybe you're listening and thinking, I've got a good life, I've got great friends, I've done cool things, but I haven't had a baby yet and I think maybe I want one. Should I be freaking out right now? Dr. Karen says, well, yeah, maybe. I don't think freaking out. I think it's being equipped with the knowledge about what the numbers tell us and then making the best decision for yourself considering your circumstances. And that, you know, we do take risks in life. And, and even if you take a risk and you take a punt, you say, I'll, I'll, I'll wait another year. And in all likelihood, you might be lucky and it might happen. But it's just the likelihood does decrease as you get older. The age factor is the absolutely biggest one, and that's something you can't do anything about. But even all the general health advice about a good diet, having exercise, not smoking, not drinking, will in fact also improve fertility for women, but also for men. Let's talk about the men in this situation, because women in a heterosexual situation, they are afraid to seem desperate, like, I'm 35, I'm turning 36, I'm horny for a baby, you know, and they don't want to scare people off that this is a thing that they really want and they're really going to push for. So I've seen this happen with my friends. They sort of dance around the idea. They, they're a bit evasive about it. You are so right. And I've seen it so many times too. And my best advice, I think, to, to anyone, even younger people, when they enter a relationship, to have a discussion early about what's your kind of ambition in terms of having kids and to kind of get a sense for are we on the same page? Are we having the same kind of ideas about what we might want for the future? If this is not something that, that even is on the radar for for a male partner, the idea that he'd come around, and I, I am disappointed in some men, I have to say, because this, this thing of uh, not being ready, when is anyone ready? There's no good time to have a baby. There's always going to be disruptive and it's all, always going to change everything around you. But if that's what you really want in life, you actually have to get going. You can't yeah, be not, right. not ready. This is what, what really gets to me is that this idea that every piece of literature you read, it says that women delay childbearing. No, women don't delay childbearing. It takes two for a baby and it's often the men who delay childbearing. Hear that, ladies? It's not all on us. So if you're with a fella, maybe it's time to give him a little gentle kick up the bum. Not in the balls, though. That might be self-defeating. <laughs> 
Or maybe, look, if you can't get on the same page about babies, it could be time to make the decision to walk away, painful as it may be. Finally, if you are childless and you wanted kids but your last shot has passed, we hope that Fleur, who's my new friend, can leave you a bit hopeful for your future. I think it's very easy to have those negative thoughts where you are questioning your your role as a woman, but I think I just eventually was just like, fuck that, I have so much more to give as a woman and I refuse to be defined in this way. There's many other ways that I can give, love, enjoy life. There's just so much more than having a child. We've covered some pretty heavy stuff in this episode and if it's raised some issues or concerns for you, help is available. You can call Lifeline on 131114. The VARTA website has a bunch of fact sheets about fertility and IVF and there's a government website called Your IVF Success which helps you calculate your odds of conceiving. And as usual, we love to hear from you. So if you've got feedback about this episode or anything else you've heard that is in the world of Ladies We Need to Talk, please send us an email, ladies at abc.net.au or call our hotline and leave a message. 1300 641 222 and we love getting your messages. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Tamar Cranswick. Supervising producer is Alex Lolbach and our executive producer is Justin Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. For a bit of help preparing yourself for that difficult, hey, I want to make a freaking baby conversation, have a listen to the Ladies We Need to Talk episode with couples therapy legend Esther Perel. It's called How to Have a Hard Conversation. The conversation is not just shaped by the person who speaks. The conversation is shaped by the person who listens or doesn't listen. And you don't control that. You have a lot that you can control because the way you say things may trigger defensiveness or receptivity. But sometimes there is a defensiveness no matter how you say it. And if you're looking for a great community of like-minded people to have conversations like this about last-shot pregnancies, search for the new ABC Everyday group on Facebook. It's full of great discussions about sex, health, relationships and what the hell you could cook for dinner tonight. <laughs>